0: This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com.
1: It is Chris Wilterding and Jeremy Steele hanging out with the Youth Worker Recharge for the week. Uh, this week, we are going to try to have a very, very interesting discussion. Um, which is usually easier with two people. And once Jeremy unfreezes and rejoins us, we can really start it in earnest. Um, but here's our topic for the day. We wanted to start a conversation related to confirmation. Okay. Um, so I know this, this conversation might not be for everybody, but uh, in your church, you probably have something that is like a confirmation learning opportunity or or a series of conversations that you get to have with people who are going to become members of your church, okay? Uh, Different faith traditions have a whole bunch of different ways of approaching confirmation. Uh, The Lutheran churches uh, often have uh, a really, really awesome and hefty confirmation curriculum that goes, you know, somewhere between six months to a year to up to two years and is really, really exhaustive in its approach uh, to getting people familiar with faith numbers and those kinds of things. Um, in the Methodist Church, in the United Methodist Church, uh, there are several different confirmation curriculums that are available. And in an odd sort of twist to things, there's not really a standard uh, approach to confirmation, right? There is something about confirmation in the United Methodist Church that is highly contextual, okay? So when we talk about Uh, The approach that a United Methodist Church has to confirmation, uh, we're coming to that confirmation conversation from the idea that every United Methodist Church is going to try to figure out what works best in their context. Okay, Um, There's a lot of different curriculums out there, uh, many of them available from the United Methodist Publishing House. uh, Grow uh, offers some. The uh, Sparkhouse Publishing House has some that I've seen people use, and a lot of churches write their own. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jeremy, I think the last church that you were serving at, you, one of the things you got tasked with was creating a confirmation curriculum for your church. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a lot of. It was really interesting because uh, part of what we were trying to do was. Incorporate some of the, uh, the current research into how beliefs are formed. Um, there's a great book called "Saying Is Believing," and it talks about how b- a lot of the beliefs that last for people are the beliefs that they say out loud, right, in conversation, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. reflection, and you know, the, as you sort of process that and put that out into this into a space that seats it more firmly in your in your mind. And so um so yeah that was was one of the things that we did.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Um so as we got into this conversation about confirmation stuff, um I get asked very very frequently like what confirmation stuff I would recommend, right? Like as a curriculum. Yeah. Uh I also get asked a lot um okay, my confirmation class is 3 weeks long. What would you include? And I say, oh, my gosh, that's like I would include more time amount of time to try to cram (laughs) everything in. So for better or for worse, I am not going to tell you which curriculum you should pick. But Jeremy and I put our heads together and figured out a list of seven things that no matter what curriculum you are using for confirmation um, that can become sort of like the foundational or key elements of your confirmation program. That is a right. part of your church. And the reason we stopped at seven, uh, Jeremy taught me something today, which, you know, Jeremy, that happens every day. Don't hear that you don't teach me something every time we talk. However, um, you did teach me that prime numbers for whatever reason are more memorable, right? So they stick in people's brains a little bit yeah, easier. So we had to come up with either five, seven, 11, 13. Uh, after that, you, know, you can keep 19. going. Yeah. We stopped at seven. 17, so, Yeah. 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 Um, so that approach, Jeremy, actually, where you're talking about uh, speaking is believing, is the first thing, number one out of seven that we would encourage people to include in their confirmation
0: plans. Right. So I'll tell you kind of what we what we did. First off, we actually started with trying to make a list of what it was is we wanted to teach in our specific context. Like what what was that church's you know core things that they felt like they wanted people to believe. Uh, or to explore, and and then what we did was each week the content, the stuff that you know we've talked about brains a lot on here. So we know that like adolescent brains are not really quickly and easily adept at uh, uh, doing abstract things, right? Taking you know some sort of biblical concept and immediately applying it perfectly to a real life situation, right? That's not the thing they're going to do quickly and easily. So instead of asking them to do that piece of the content, we said, okay, we will sit down, uh, have a a student each week lead the confirmation content. Um, Mm -hmm. And that means sitting down with the clergy person, you know, the clergy person teaching it to them, them developing an outline, maybe slides, maybe whatever it was. And then um, those students, During the confirmation class, leading the um, leading the bullet point kind of content, and then the clergy person that is present, um, leading the sort of abstract. So, like, what does that mean when I wake up tomorrow morning? Like, how does this apply to my life? Um, And then allowing students also to engage with that in a uh, in a critical critical, not in the sense of like bad, but like Thinking critically, like critical thinking, around these beliefs, like what of that seemed right to me, what did not? If it didn't, why did it not seem to fit with my experience of the world? Um, and you know, we were trying to do scripture and tradition and reason and experience, all uh, all sort of wrapped into this one room on yeah. each of the weeks.
1: And, and I really love that for a couple of reasons. One is the student who's doing the leading; um, they're going to get to know that material a lot better because they have yeah. to prepare it to present it. And you know what, uh, in experience and also in research, the data shows that people listen to their peers more often yes. than they listen to anybody outside of their peer group. So yes, that clergy person is there, but you're also going to have the attention of the group that is gathered that's doing the listening and the processing hmm. uh, a lot more intent attentive than they would be just to a single presenter who's an adult clergy person.
0: Right. And one of the things in kind of going through that in a year, and and I did like the the kind of traditional content okay. pieces but i had a, okay. a great team of people working and, with and us and how long make i'm going to i'm going to ask the, oh, the yeah. scope of time i i've got it right here let me uh Man, what, but asking. what i was what i was going to say ahead. um uh, in all of that was that um that we um it was really interesting when you um when you saw when you heard students delivering the content, right? It was, um, the words were different, right? They were different than the right. words that I, I said to them. Uh, every once in a while, they were just dead wrong, which was fine, right? You, you could kind of correct and you know wrap some things around. But like the phrasing was interesting in the way that they phrased stuff differently. And I, I've got to imagine that hearing that as a teen, right? Phrased through your cultural lens um, was really helpful, right? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve,
1: thirteen, 10, 11, 12, 13, including the celebration. 13 sessions with the celebration. Okay. Uh, yeah. That also prevents the adult from, you know, saying anything embarrassing, like no cap fur", fur or Jesus really is bussing. You know, yeah. I, don't yes, do that. Don't, reach. don't gonna, do that reach. Hmm. All right. That was number one. Number two, um, when you are putting together whatever you're looking at for confirmation, I really encourage churches to include history yes. as one of the pieces to cover. And and okay. You can relate that to if you're exploring the Bible and, you know, figuring out church history timelines and, and you know, the evolution of your denomination or or any of those kind of things. But what I really mean is being able to involve local stories of the church yes. where this confirmation is happening, right? Bring in some long-term members. Uh, if you have folks that have seen the church through some really, um, you know, big growing times or some really tough times. And can share about sort of the ethos that the church is built upon the things that the church does well in the community or the things that the church is known for or wants to be known for in the community, Um, grounding the church that they're going to join right because confirmation is Mm -hmm. the process of becoming a member of your church um, being able to ground them as a part of the living story of your local church, I think is really awesome to be able to do during confirmation. So that doesn't have to just be like one session. Hey, for two hours, we're going to talk church history, bring in guest speakers, um, identify a couple of folks who can do some good storytelling about, uh, you know, where the church started and where it is now, uh, and and involve that throughout the process. So that's my number two history, local stories. Um, number three this is one that you are particularly passionate about, and it is question and answer moments.
0: One hundred percent. Students have lots of questions, and for whatever reason, in a lot of church contexts, they've not give, been given an opportunity to ask those questions, and for those questions to be taken seriously. Sure. Um, and, and so, I feel like at least if you're gonna just if you if you've got if you're not going to do it every week, one session that is just, or part of a retreat, if you've got a retreat involved in this, but that is that is just set aside for any question that a student has about faith, religion, spirituality, all of that stuff, um, the Bible, Christianity, heaven and hell, whatever it is, uh, so that they can ask those questions and feel like they've got, if, you may not have answers to them but feel like they've been able to explore that with the help of somebody that is, um, more, uh, in the, in the know than they are. Right.
1: Well, I, I love that you brought it up that way because it's an opportunity to wrestle with scripture yeah. or wrestle with ideas, right? It, it mm-hmm. it's less about having the answer. Yes. It's about inviting those confirmands and those students into a process where, they can start to try to find answers to these questions because it's not as if when confirmation's over, you just don't have any more questions about faith or the way the world works or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Really, it's an invitation to think about those things theologically and critically uh, and, right. and figure out how to do that. So having that opportunity is huge uh, as part of your confirmation curriculum. All right, number four. Um, one that I care a lot about is that confirmation is, a, is an incredible opportunity to connect youth and their families with people who would normally not be involved in your youth ministry.
0: Yes. So Um, important.
1: You and I both know, like from the work that we've done, recruiting volunteers and and retaining volunteers and all those kinds of things, there's a certain giftedness that comes with the week in week out sort of grind of youth ministry. Right. Um, When you're in confirmation, it's an opportunity to create connections and relationships between youth and their families with mentors, with prayer partners, uh, with somebody that is going to be a part of that young person's continued faith journey after confirmation's done, right? Confirmation is a season. Establishing relationships and connections within your congregation and helping a young person form friendships is only going to help them stay connected to your church after confirmation is celebrated and officially over.
0: Right. Yeah. And I've got, uh, over the years, have collected all kinds of stories from both students who become young adults and adults and from, um, adults who, uh, who stay connected to that mentor. Yeah. Right. Yep. Even youth who do not stay connected to youth group or yeah. to church still have that person who walked them through confirmation and, um, and listened to that. Uh, and, and it can be a, a number of different ways in, in that example that I told you, uh, we asked those students and those confirmation leaders, the students to meet every week with their confirmation mentor. And they the first part of their meeting was to tell them the bullet points of what they learned. So again, mm-hmm. saying it out loud, yeah. um, and then to discuss it with them. Um, yeah. So It was, um, it's so important because you get people that like, like you said, they're not comfortable with being thought of as a youth volunteer. They don't want to be there every week. They could care less about playing chubby bunny or whatever it is, but they'll sit down with a kid and talk about, you know, life and theology for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, really cool.
1: Yeah. And, and you can frame it in a way that it's short-term, right? Like confirmation has a beginning and an ending. It can be as flexible as you want it to be, right? Like you can set up times at the church that are, you know, confirmation conversation times. You can also okay. encourage folks to, you know, make these connections outside of regular church hours, Um Side story, Angela, who is one of the people that was involved with my own confirmation. Every time that I end up in the same church as her, um, which is not often, but there's two churches about an hour away that I'll, you know, go and worship at. Or, and every time I see her, she's like, you are my claim to fame. I was Chris Wilterding's confirmation leader. and I said, <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. I never get embarrassed that you say that. And but but listen, that that's that's. 30 years, right? Or 30 yeah. years. So that long term thing, again, not related to a church, not related to, but, okay. but a, a person, right? Okay. Um, we're on to number five. Tell me what it means to get comfortable about what's in the Bible.
0: Ah, yes. I would hope that each week there would be some sort of biblical content um, that you would discuss, incorporate, mention. But uh, the Bible itself is complicated. Yes, it is. And understanding what's going on with it can be incredibly helpful. And, And by that, I mean, not like memorize these Bible verses, but like, how did the Bible come to exist? Like, there's 66 books in the Protestant Bible. There's more in the Catholic Bible. Why is that? Sure. There's different kinds of literature in the Bible. There are contradictions between verses in the Bible. One verse says something happened on a mountain. The other one says it happened in a valley, right? Like all kinds of things. And so talking about the Bible itself in that sort of meta way uh, can be really helpful because it, it helps students Feel a little bit more comfortable and in sort of approaching it, right? Yeah, Uh, because they say, "Okay, so this was this is why this is this way. This is why this is that way. Oh, this is a poem. I don't need to take that literally. That's ridiculous, right? All of that kind of stuff can help students have a a more a higher level of comfort when they engage with the text."
1: Yeah, I I completely agree, Uh, and I'm going to add to that that. It's also a really cool opportunity to expose um, folks to tools that help you learn what is in the Bible as well, right? There's all these yeah. extra biblical resources um, like thesauruses and atlases and right. uh, concordances are fascinating, right? Um yes. uh, To me, because I nerd out on those things, but, right. um, you know, help help. Young people understand that not only are there these books in the Bible that is one big long story that it's worth Uh to figure out how it ties together, Old Testament to New Testament and everywhere in between, Um, but also there are these other tools to help you ground that in the real world and and the time and the place in which those scriptures were written and, and came to be. Okay, number six. Part of the idea of being able to contextualize confirmation materials for your local church is that you're going to want to cover core theological concepts as a part of your confirmation curriculum. So that is number six on our list. Uh, And and Jeremy, how would we start to pull apart uh, how a church might identify the core theological concepts that they would want to make sure are included in confirmation?
0: I think um, most churches have done confirmation in the past. There is somewhere in that church old confirmation curriculum. It might not be cool and new in Trinity, but just it's fine. Uh, you can go through that and say, here are a list of important theological concepts, right? That were in this other confirmation yeah. curriculum. And then sit down with your with your people, leaders, and say, okay, we've got, this curriculum has 30 things. We've got 12 weeks. Um, are there any, is there anything that our church really believes and is passionate about that's not on this list? Mm. Right. So let's add some of those, like uh, a church that I was serving, when we were doing that process, uh, one of the things was inclusion. And, like that was a really important thing. And they wanted okay. to give the sort of religious basis for all of that, the mm. Christian basis for all that. Um, but whatever, whatever it is, and then just go through and say, all right, you know, which of these do we eliminate? Right. We've got to eliminate or sometimes combine some and pare it down. You know, I think uh, I have my own personal list, but like, obviously, the Trinity is really important. (laughs) Understanding Jesus's life and what the crucifixion and resurrection mean and how that impacts our lives. Those are important things. There's a number of important, uh, important theological concepts that have been at the core of Christianity for uh, millennia that we that we're trying to pass down in confirmation
1: um one of the links i'm going to put in um our facebook live feed actually is going to go back to the crash course related to united methodist heritage and beliefs um, See, because look at that's that. another great one to be able to pull from right that so
0: handy. Those In terms of courses.
1: denominations that you are connected with, um, looking for denominational resources like that, again, to look at that that theological underpinning to the approaches to ministry. The Methodist right. understanding of grace is yes. a seal, you know, and, and having young people that are going to join a United Methodist Church understand that concept of grace. Um, as well as figuring out like, you know, things like cheap grace or the grace that you say before dinner and that kind of stuff. It's a really important conversation to have during confirmation. All right, number seven, end of the list. Confirmation does kind of end with a celebration, right? Which is a good time. It is an option for the young people that were participating in confirmation to become professing members or full members of their United Methodist Church. But in order to do that, There's some promises that you make, right? (laughs) And there's some language that goes with those promises. Um, And this is the same thing that I would say to anybody who's helping uh, with wedding ceremonies or anything like that. When you get to the point of the ceremony, when you're doing the vows, Mm -hmm. it's so important to understand what you're promising to each other. Right? Right. Um, and these membership vows are sort of like promises that these young people are going to make to the congregation, and the congregation has, again, a chance to respond to them. So yeah. uh, how would you approach that? Are, are we just talking like kind of a, of a review of those promises? Here's a sheet, take them home, read them. This is what you're going to say on Sunday morning, or we <laughs> want to go deeper,
0: right? That's not me. I Like, when I read <laughs> some of these, I've, I've got them pulled up. Uh, you know, when I read some of these, the, the words are big, intense words, right? Here's one. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior, put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened people of all ages, nations and races? Yeah. I mean, that's like... There's a lot in there. There's <laughs> a lot, right? <laughs> and so like, maybe maybe they believe that, right? Maybe they are ready to say, I, I do to that, but they... It's irresponsible to put students up, give them those kinds of words, and ask them to invite them to say, I do, without them having processed those at their level. And some of these, obviously, some of these, you will have already talked about the underlying concepts in confirmation, but hopefully you'll be able to say, okay, look, this one is related to that lesson on the resurrection. You remember that or this one is related to our community or whatever. Uh you know then um there's and then there's like the church has vows and it, it, there's all kinds of really big deals. And then and then there's a a, a profession of faith and then there's the joining of the local congregation. Yeah. Which are two separate things. And and I've had multiple students over the years be totally comfortable with professing faith in Christianity, but not comfortable in joining our local church. Mm-hmm. Right. As we talked about what our the local church believed, the United Methodist Church believed, they didn't agree with it. And they couldn't in good conscience join that even they they might attend our youth group for the rest of their time until they graduate <laughs> um and so we would have students that would opt out of that but you know understanding like telling this in the piece right you say hey look it's going to be this and then we're going to ask these other questions and if you don't want to join the church you don't have to answer these right but let us know cuz we 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 might not notice And we also don't want to make it awkward and have you like sit down so that everybody knows, oh, well, these students aren't joining the church. Right. So you just let us know if you're not going to say those and we we won't add you to the to the roles or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm so appreciative of that chance to do that language review. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the in the Methodist context, right, like you can look at confirmation as a response to a baptism. Right. Mm -hmm. That uh, Again, with the promises and the vows, congregations take on promises for what they will do when uh, a child is baptized or when a person is baptized into um, the Christian faith. And it's important to give the latitude, right, for youth to be able to say, I'm not ready to make that promise yet. Um, And for you as the youth leader, not to feel bad about that. In fact, you should feel great about the work that you've done, um, that you have caused a young person to think this deeply Uh, about Mm -hmm. their faith before they blindly promise themselves into something. Now, if you do have those two or three, um, you know, making sure that you're in conversation with their families as well, right? Because that young person might be facing some pressure from the parents to just, you know what, just say, just say yes, or just, you know, so set yourself up some time um, in that processing. But yeah, that's all part of that plain language review as well. All right. It's the end. That's seven. Recap. Number one. Include student leadership and clergy. Number two, include history and local stories. Number three, absolutely include question and answer moments. Number four, build in opportunities to connect with mentors and prayer partners. Five, uh, get comfortable about how the Bible came to be and start to learn about what's in there. Six, cover the core theological concepts that are important to your local congregation. And seven, a plain language review of the promises and vows that it takes to become a professing member at your local church
0: and a half. It better be more than three weeks, sucker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm being completely honest with you that I have gotten that question. Like, okay, so we got three weekends to do confirmation. We're going to be doing it. Um, it's like, okay. Yeah. Give, give yourself a few more than three weeks next time. Pretty please. Um, Jeremy, always fun. Uh, Youth workers and youth leaders out there, hope this was helpful for you. Um, As always, if you're listening on the podcast version, uh, those get released a couple of months after we do the live recording. If you happen to watch us on Facebook Live, thanks so much for carving some time out. Know that you're in our prayers and you can hang out with us again next Monday for our next Youth Worker Recharge. Jeremy, see you next time.
0: See you next time.